The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right, my name is John Holm, one of the elders here at Fathom. It's my privilege today to be bringing you God's Word. And uh, if you are new at Fathom, maybe you have not heard that our lead pastor, Chris Martin, is on sabbatical this summer. And so I just want to encourage us all to continue to pray for God to do his good work, giving them rest, refreshment, and just really helping them connect deeper in deeper ways with God this summer. So be praying for Chris, Marcy, Harper as they're away from us. And then also, I just want to do a shout out to our staff who are stepping up this summer and taking care of everything while Chris is gone. Just really appreciate those guys and what they're doing. So thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Um, Of course, I know gift cards would always be great for them too. So hey, just saying. Anyway, hey, we have a lot to cover today. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we are going to be back in Matthew 15 today. Uh, We're going to be continuing our study there. But as you're turning there today, um, just wanted to share that lately I've been hearing people's conversation and overhearing them share about their lives and what's going on. But then it seems as though at some point in the conversation, they stop and say, but I feel guilty about, and they talk about what they feel guilty about. And that could be big things, small things, things they're doing, things they're not doing, things that people are expecting them to do. Some of those things are big issues of life and big failures. So, as all of us do, when I started hearing all about this guilt, all this, I decided, you know what? I need to do some study on guilt, so I Googled it. And I went online to see what the word on the street is about guilt. And in looking through all the information, I actually came up or found this top 10 list of things people feel guilty about in our world. So listen to these. See if you guys can relate to any of these. Number one, things said at a moment of being stressed out tired or under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Two, not taking time to be with our children, parents, or grandparents. Three, financial obligations left unpaid. Four, failed friendships and marriages. Five, behaviors that are unbecoming because of societal standards. Six, all the things we should have would have, or could have done. Seven, circumstances of of the death of somebody close to us. Eight, physically or verbally abusing another person or being abused. Nine, what we eat. (laughs) Ten, religion and its perception of sin. So let me ask you today, Are there things in your life that you're feeling guilty about? Things you have said or done or maybe should have done or maybe expectations that people have you of what you should be doing? You know, I think underneath it all, it's that feeling of I've done something wrong. But as I thought about it, I think it goes even deeper than that. I think there's the desire in all of us to get life right to get things right, to do what's right. And so today, if you're feeling that way, you're in the right place because I think in our passage today as we look at it, I think that's where the disciples are. 
That's what they're feeling. They're feeling this guilt, this feeling of, I want to get life right. And so let's jump into this passage, and I'm, I'm titling this sermon today, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. Let's take a look at what uh, Jesus is going to tell us about getting life right. Well, before we go there, I got to get a little, a little background information because the passage last week, if you were here last week, the first for, uh, nine verses of chapter 15, they go in, they are connected to what we're talking about today. So for us to understand what we're talking about today, we got to do a little background and kind of a refresher of what Eric talked about last week. So in last week's uh, passage, we know over time going through the book of uh, Matthew that Jesus' popularity is growing. He's out there doing miracles. He, he's uh, curing people. We, we've seen he's, he's fed 5,000. He's walked on the water doing amazing things. But not only that, people are drawn to him because of his teaching. It says he teaches with authority. And so the religious leaders who have been the, the, the leaders of the people for, for their whole lives, you know, all of a sudden are realizing that Jesus is gaining this popularity and they're losing it. They're losing their authority. They're losing their voice in the, in the lives of people and they don't like it. So they're going to do what a lot of leaders do when they're losing credibility is we want to find some dirt on the other person. We're going to find something they're doing wrong so we can take them down. And so last week in the passage, if you're in uh, chapter 15, verse 2, we find this. The Pharisees come to him and they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And so last week we heard about the washing hands scandal. But really, it's, it's not so much about the washing hands. It's the fact that the disciples were not obeying the traditions of the elders. Now, what are the traditions of the elders? Because for us, we hear that and we go, I have no idea what you're talking about there. Well, God had given his law, his law it, it, that guided his people on how to live to please him. And the religious leaders came along and said, you know, we want to make sure the people are actually following this law. So we're going to make all these rules interpreting how they should follow God's law. And over time, they, they came up with more and more laws. They became very specific and detailed on how you are to follow God's law. These traditions of the elders or these rules became even more important than the law of God. I don't know how many of you guys, when you buy something on Amazon, read the reviews. You guys do that? I do that. I look at the reviews, and right away I go to those who, that put down the one star, read what they have to say. You know, it's interesting. What I find a lot of people complaining or, or rating products low uh, is because of the uh, lack of instructions. The, the instructions aren't detailed. And so the product must be bad because the details or instructions are not good. Well, the elders or the religious leaders would never be criticized. They would get five-star rating for the rules they came up with. In fact, I was looking at this, and um, take the rules on the Sabbath. They came up with 39 different categories. Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath. 39 categories, and they were so detailed that it even told you how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before you were breaking God's law. And I've always wondered, what would they do if they ran out of steps? <laughs> Have to stand in that position until the end of the Sabbath? 
But that's how detailed they were. Initially, I think it was the intent of the religious leaders was good to help guide the people. But over time, over time, they became oppressive because they were so specific, so deep. So almost like you could not, you could not carry this out. You could not follow all these rules. Not only that, it became a source of pride for the religious leaders, where it's like, you know how you hear lawmakers, you know, put their names on the law, and that becomes a source of pride? This is a law I wrote. Well, you can imagine these religious leaders. How many rules have you written? Oh, I wrote 10. Oh, I've written 50. You know, it became a source of pride for them, and not only that, they thought it was their job to go around pointing out how everyone was not keeping these rules. Guilty, guilty, guilty. It reminds me of the, uh, the uh, uh, Geico commercial or whatever it is. No, yeah, the Geico commercial, the aunt infestation. Have you guys seen that commercial? I love that commercial. These, this couple buys this house. Of course, I'm a realtor, so I love this thing. A couple buys this house, and, and their aunts, their aunts, aunts, uh, move into the house, and they start criticizing everything they were doing. And the classic scene is where they're sitting at the kitchen table, and, and the one aunt is in, in the fridge taking stuff out going, expired, expired, expired. That's what the religious leaders were doing to the people. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And so here they come to Jesus and say, your disciples are guilty because they are not following the tradition, our rules. They are not getting life right. Now, it's interesting, Jesus didn't answer them. What Jesus did was accuse them of being lawbreakers of God's law. Do you writing laws to actually get out of obeying God's law? Not only that, look at, at verses... The passage end in verse 7, it says this, You hypocrites, well does Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And so Jesus ends with his dialogue of judging them. Now, have you ever been in a situation where two people are arguing and you're sitting there watching it? Or, or maybe better yet, two people are arguing and they're arguing about you and what you've done wrong. Maybe as a child you experienced that where you did something wrong and your parents were arguing about that and going at it as a result. That's where we see the disciples at this point being guilty, seeing two people they respect or two groups they respect going at it. And so that's where we find the disciples. But here's the beauty of Jesus. Even though the Pharisees, the religious leaders are attacking him, he still, after that confrontation, takes time to teach his followers. And that's the passage that follows, the passage we are going to look at today. He's going to give his disciples, as a result of this confrontation, the keys to living right. So let's look at verses 10 through 20. Let's read that together. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. 
And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So here we have the disciples caught between two authorities in their lives. The religious leaders that I, they, have, they have listened to their whole lives, telling them to get life right, you have to obey the rules. That's how you get your heart right, by getting your life right. And Jesus, who is saying, no, 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 no. God isn't concerned about following your traditions. He cares about the condition of your heart. It's what comes out of your heart that either honors or defiles God. See, what Jesus is gonna tell them and what he tells us is this. To get your heart right, if you get your heart right, you'll get your life right. If you get your heart right first, then you will get your life right. So how do you and I do that? Jesus is gonna give us some keys to doing that. So the first thing I see in this passage is we need to learn to listen to the right voices. So once again, the disciples are caught between Jesus and the religious leaders. Who are we gonna listen to? And we think this is an easy choice for them. It's really not. Think about the voices in your life that you grew up with, that you heard, that, that, that spoke supposedly truth to you. You heard that your whole life. And then all of a sudden you hear something different. Isn't it difficult to switch to change? That's where the disciples are at. But the beauty is Jesus knows that, and he says in verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. So here we see Jesus lovingly calling to his disciples, calling those who have been in the background watching this going on. Jesus says, come near, come here. I want to tell you something. Mark Radeke said this, God's voice is loving, encouraging, and convicting but never condemning to the true follower. And what Jesus is, wants them to do is listen actively because he says, hear and understand. It's written in the present tense that means hear and understand. In other words, keep doing it. It's action that needs to go on and on. Hear and understand. Be active in your listening. The verses that were read over us, Proverbs 4, I love these because they, they explain this to us also says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. You ever not quite heard something? Don't we naturally do that? It's like, okay, what, what, what did you say? That's kind of the attitude Jesus is encouraging them to do as they listen. Fathom, if we want our, to get our hearts right, we need to make Jesus' voice the primary one in our lives. We live in an incredible time in history. Technology, all the advancements, and all the information that's out there, it's unlimited. I grew up in uh, early 60s, born in the early 60s, and grew up overseas. 
We did not have a television in our house, I think, until I was in junior high. And I don't think we had a radio, as I think back on it. The voices in my life back then were very limited. My parents, family, friends, church, school, few books that we had, not much else. I walk around with this in my pocket. Unlimited information I have access to. I could never read everything on here if I read nonstop for the rest of my life. That's the information available to us today. These are the voices speaking to us today. Millions of voices trying to influence you and me. Millions of voices trying to get a hold of our hearts. I looked at this uh, website, Christian Questions, and they talked about the voices we listen to on there, and they said this, our morality as humans is directly related to the voices we choose to listen to. It is woefully easy to get stuck in a voice loop where we allow certain voices, certain perspectives, to circulate nonstop in our minds. Now, none of you are influenced by commercials and slogans, right? You, you don't listen to them? You really, you know, tune that stuff out, commercials when they come on? Well, let me do a test here. See if you can uh, complete these uh, slogans. Breakfast of? There are some things money can't buy. For everything else? There we go. Bet you can't eat, just one. America runs on, okay, like a good neighbor. Think outside the bun. <laughs> Red Bull gives you, okay, what's in your? The quicker. All right. How about this one? Where's the? Oh, you guys know that one. <laughs> Was that only us older people answering? <laughs> Snap, crackle, crackle. Okay, that's also an older one there. So you guys aren't influenced by the voices out there, right? You don't listen to them. No voice loops going on in your head. The reality is, folks, we are all influenced by the outside voices. But Jesus is going to tell us here, one, he calls us to listen to him but he also tells us the voices we should not be listening to or we should be tuning out. Look at verse 13. He says this, and he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. And if you were here with us last summer, this is actually referring back to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In it, this good farmer plants good seeds. The enemy comes, plants weeds amongst them. And, and, and the, the workers come and say, should we tear up the weeds? And the good farmer says, no, let them grow together because then at harvest, they will be separated. The good seed will be brought into the barns and the weeds will be burned. And it's a picture of spiritual life, good voices, those who are good, those who are spiritual, and those evil voices, those evil people that one day will be punished, uh, have that eternal punishment. And so Jesus is pointing back to that time which means he's talking about the religious leaders, those being voices that are spiritually dead, ones they should not listen to. Now, I think these voices in our lives, a lot of times are easy for us to pinpoint. They, they are directly opposed to Scripture, to God, to Jesus, and we hear that and we know that. Now, the challenge we know for uh, kids who grow up in the church 
is they go off to secular universities and then start hearing all their professors tell them the Bible is not true, it's wrong, we have a new truth for you. And they have to wrestle what voice they're going to listen to. But that's those overt voices in our lives that are easy for us to say, you know what, they're off. That's definitely not according to Scripture and what I believe. I think the harder voices for us or the more challenging ones to identify are what he talks about in verse 14. He says this, Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Here at Fathom, we have uh, people of our congregation are here that are uh, part of the Colorado Center for the Blind, and it's a world-renowned school for their ability to train and teach blind people, and we are just blessed to have you guys here. But in Jesus' day, there was nothing like that. Blind people many times were outcasts in society and had to struggle with life. Many of them were beggars on the street. And so the people of that day would see that the blind people were really trying to avoid the pitfalls of life in a literal sense. And so Jesus takes that imagery here and he puts that on the, the religious leaders and says, they are blind guides. They are spiritually blind. Don't listen to them because what's even worse is they're trying to influence you and lead you away from the truth. It would be like me uh, deciding to take a group of people, an expedition, and leading them up to the top of Everest. Now, I've climbed some 14ers, but I have no business trying to lead a group of people up to the top of Everest. If I were to do that, folks, somebody's going to die. In fact, we're all going to die. Because I would be incompetent, unqualified to be able to lead a group. And so Jesus says, there are voices in our lives like that. And the tricky part for us is many times those voices have some truth, a little bit of truth, and then everything else. And we need to be aware of those voices in our lives because they are very dangerous. Let me give you a couple illustrations. A church that preaches works-based salvation, not grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And there are a lot of churches out there that do that. How about this? Counselors who place a higher value on secular psychology than the principles or standards in God's word. How about when it comes to a sexual ethic? There are a lot of voices out there, and even a lot of people who say they, they are Christians who will say, you know what? God loves you. We can all agree on that. And he wants you to be happy. So you just need to find self-fulfillment. Go do whatever you want. God wants you to be happy. Those are voices that we need to recognize and understand some truth, but really, ultimately, no truth because of everything else they add to it. So what are the primary voices in your life? Who would you say you listen to the most? Where does Jesus fit in with that? And what are you doing on a regular basis to help you hear the voice of Jesus? See, the first key to getting our hearts right is listening to the, first, to the right voices. The second thing is stop worrying about what other people think. Look at verse 12. 
says this, then the disciples came to him and said, do you not, do you not, not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I read this and I read it a couple times and all of a sudden it's just like, yes, the disciples were people pleasers also. Me and the disciples, because that's me. I'm a people pleaser. And so Jesus is pointing out to them that we need to stop worrying about what other people think. See, they were saying, these are voices we've heard our whole life, Jesus. These are the ones we've been told to please. These are the ones who, t- who tell us the rules and if we're not following them. Don't mess with them, Jesus. Appease them, satisfy them. That's kind of the tension the disciples are feeling here. In the dictionary, it says this, people pleasers. Somebody who cares a lot whether other people like them and always want others to approve of their actions. At the core of it, is my self-worth being based on what other people think? My self-worth being uh, based on what y'all think? Here's some quotes. If you live for, for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, you won't worry so much about whether others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. The only thing wrong with trying to please everyone is that there's always one person who will be unhappy, you. And then this one, people pleasing hides the real you, which is so true. You know, I read this, you guys, and and, and this really hit home for me because the reality is with my background and my personality, this is strong in me. People pleasing is strong in me. I grew up in the church, great Bible-believing church, the gospel was preached, but it was very legalistic. It was get saved and then obey all these rules. Really, it was similar to what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were preaching here. We have all these rules that you have to follow now. Don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke, don't go with girls who do. You know, all those rules out there that if you follow these rules, then you will be spiritual. And if you don't, then you're probably not saved. That's what I grew up with, that pressure. Well, one day my mom came to me and she said, John, your hair's too long. Hair, hair, long hair for guys was on the list. And you gotta remember, I grew up or went to high school in the 70s where, where long hair, big hair for guys was in. You know, 70s rock and roll hair, lamb chops, beards, you know, all the guys who could grow hair, I mean, they were cool. And the coolest of all was chest hair. You know, because you could open up your shirt, show it off. I mean, those were the cool guys. And all of us who didn't have chest hair, the buttons were all the way up. So I went to high school in that environment. That was cool. But in the church, that was wrong. And so my mom comes to me and says, you need to get your hair cut. And she says these words, what will the elders think? And I said to her, Mom, who cares? And then I went and got my hair cut because I felt so guilty. (laughs) It's true. I'm a people pleaser because of my that, but also my personality. You guys familiar with the Enneagram? I'm a nine with a two wing. Nines, you know, easygoing, self-effacing type, accepting, trusting, stable, 
They're usually uh, creative, optimistic, sorry, the print's so small, optimistic, supportive, but, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. Two, okay, you think that was bad? Um, caring, interpersonal type. Twos are uh, energetic, uh, sincere, warm-hearted. They are friendly, generous, self-sacrificing, but, why is there always a but? But can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. You know what I've concluded? I'm a conflict-avoiding people-pleaser that can't say no. That's me. That's my background. That's my personality. And when you really think about it, worrying about what other people think or pleasing others is all about looking good on the outside so everybody thinks you're okay, that your heart's okay, but it's a facade, it's on the outside. So let me give you two levels of people-pleasing. First of all, it comes, with, it comes down to compromising our faith and our morals. That's pleasing people and compromising our faith to do that. This is works-based salvation versus faith-based. It's trying to earn my salvation by pleasing men. It's making others happy and compromising what I really believe. You know, growing up in the church I did, it was legalistic, the gospel was preached, but by God's grace, he brought along some youth pastors, Kyle, youth pastors that spoke into my life that, that I, I mean, they, I was just um, inspired by them in my faith. And between my eighth and ninth grade year, I'd come to faith early in my life, you know, Jesus is my savior, you know, got that down, believed that. But it really came down to, am I going to follow him and make him the Lord of my life? Am I going to obey him and honor him and please him? And between my eighth and ninth grade year, they challenged me to do that. And I actually had a friend during that time, and I remember this specifically, being challenged, are you going to this year in high school live for Jesus? And the friend of mine said, I can't do that, and walked away, and really walked away from me. I lost that friendship. And I decided to follow Jesus at that point. Ninth grade was a tough year. But it was a defining year for me as what am I going to believe? Am I going to please the crowd or am I going to please Jesus? So that's kind of the compromising our faith level. The other level is what I call compromising our hearts. And that's kind of the day-to-day level. It's not about the picture, big picture of what I believe, but where I find my significance. And the reality is, folks, that God loves you, but everyone else has a plan for your life and wants you to please them and what they want for you. So here's the question for you. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to please And then let me take it a little bit further. Why? Because that really gets to the heart of matter and actually leads us to our next point. The next point is this. You know, after we're listening to the right verses, as we're learning not to worry about what people think, the third uh, final key is this. Learn to be self-reflective. Learn to look in to our hearts. Let's read verses 17 through 20. Because Jesus is going to tell us the truth here about our hearts. He says this. 
Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Folks, this is the soul-searching level. This is going deep. This is opening up our hearts, being honest with the condition of our hearts. And when we listen to the right voices and actively seek to hear and understand, when we're moving from being people-pleasing to God-pleasing, we can't help but realize our hearts need work. To get our life right, we need to start by getting our heart right. We need to get to the heart of the matter. We need to be self-reflective and take an honest look at the condition of our hearts. You know what made the religious leaders so mad? Jesus told them the truth. He told them the condition of their hearts. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are from, far from me. Your hearts are dead. Jesus actually told the disciples and the religious leaders the same thing. You know what the difference is? The disciples wanted to know. They had open hearts. Look what Peter says in verse 15. Peter says this, explain the parable to us. That's an open heart. So my question today is, how open are you to allowing God into your heart to reveal the condition of your heart? How willing are you to go there? That can be very painful, seeing really what's going on in the inside. But if we are willing to do that, folks, Christ tells us the truth of our heart. As we reflect in, he gives us the truth. See, the reality is our hearts are naturally sinful. Did you hear that list in verse 19? Theologically, we call that total depravity, where sin has affected our whole heart. Everything about us is affected by sin. Corruption, wickedness, pervasiveness. Listen to some other verses telling about the condition of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And then Ephesians 2, 1, you think it gets worse? Listen to this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I've never gotten into zombie movies, but, but I think the description of a zombie probably is a good description of our hearts at this point. The walking dead. That's how Jesus describes our heart. When sin gets in, takes control, and it affects us all. All of us are affected by that. That's the condition of our hearts here. I think I, I had a friend once who told me, I haven't been to the doctor in years, and I don't want to go because I don't want them to tell me that there's something wrong. See, that's crazy. But we do that with our spiritual eyes, with our hearts, don't we? I don't want to know. 
God, don't tell me. The reality is when we go to the doctor and they tell us something's wrong, it's awful to hear the news, but we can seek the cure. We can find out what we need to do to make it right. And so Jesus here gives us a hint in the passage of the cure for our sick hearts. And here we are in the middle of the book of Matthew. We haven't gotten to the end of Matthew yet. We don't know the story. Here we're learning about Jesus, his life, but we haven't heard yet that he's going to go on the, to the cross to die for us. But he gives us that hint in verse 13 where he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. But that means, especially looking back at the parable, that God is planting new life in people. He's doing that. And so I'm going to cheat a little bit and move forward in, in the Gospels and actually turn to Ephesians because I want to read the end of or read on in Ephesians, you know, where it said we are dead in our trespasses and sin, but it says this in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then down to verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Folks, when we get to the end of Matthew, we will find out that Jesus, out of his love, mercy, and grace, is going to go to the cross and die for us and pay the penalty for our sin. And he's going to offer his free gift of salvation to all of us to make our hearts new. He's going to do that for you. He's going to do that for me. So today, I think some of you, as you reflect on your heart, as you look inward, maybe for the first time today, you realize your heart is dead and it needs new life. And you need to accept God's free gift saying, I have died for you. I paid for your sin. All you need to do is accept that to receive that, and I will make your heart new. I will make your life right as a result of making your heart right. And then some of you today need to be reminded of that truth, that he forgave all your sins because you're having trouble forgiving yourself. You look in your heart and you say, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. In fact, in some of the conversations I heard over the past month, I heard some people talking about that. And today, if you're there, you've come to faith in Christ, but you're just struggling with forgiving yourself. The beauty of being a part of a community of faith is we walk with you in that. And as you do the good job of reflecting on why can't I forgive myself, then we can walk with you and help you come to the point where you can let go of that, where you can forgive yourself. So if you're struggling with that today, let us know we would love to walk with you in that and help you find that freedom. And then I think for all of us today, the challenge is we need to be encouraged daily to take a look at our hearts, to look inward, to reflect. Once we come to faith in Christ, spiritual life comes to us, our hearts are made new, but we need to grow and develop and mature in our faith. I've got a couple of grandsons now, and love watching those guys, love watching it. I mean, it's amazing they survive, isn't it, kids? I mean, all of life is an experiment of figuring it out, and it's a lot of bumps and bruises. But that's the way it is for us when we come to faith. 
We need to grow, we need to mature. That's a daily looking in. Okay, what do I need to learn? What's going on in my heart? What do I need to change? God, do your good work in me. The more you and I as Christ followers do the good daily work of listening to the right voices, of stop worrying about what people think and self-reflection, over time, God will mature our hearts. He makes our hearts right, and then we can figure out how to do life right. Over time, God will mature our hearts in less evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and other sins will be coming out of our hearts, and more love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be coming out of our hearts. Our hearts will be right, and as a result, we'll get our lives right. So I want to end today with one practical suggestion for us that I think helps incorporate all that we talked about today. There's a couple verses in Psalm 139 that can help us out, and really, it's a prayer to pray, but it's a self-reflective prayer. And so as we end today, I want to read this prayer over us, and I want to encourage you and me to on a daily, uh, just make this a daily habit, or if nothing else, once a week. Read over this prayer. So let me pray this over us today as we close our time in the Word. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, it's up on the screen, says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me. And then, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.